This morning we continue our sermon series on relationship goals. And this morning we're going to look at some things that God equips husbands to be. Look at husbands this week and wives next week. Some things that God wants husbands to be once a man and a woman have entered in to the covenant of marriage. In our society, marriage is a contract, and I'm not going to delve into this in this series, uh, but you ought, to, you ought to think about this on your own some and ponder this. Our society sees marriage as a contract. Uh, as believers, marriage is not a contract. It is a covenant. It is a covenant relationship. Um, and once you enter into that covenant relationship, there are certain things as a husband and a wife that you must make the choice to be willing to do to be what it is that God is equipping you to be. So if you're a wife, even though this message today is for husbands, if you're a wife, you need to support your husband in these paths that God has ordained. Uh, if you are a single person in our church, you need to support the married men in our church into living on this path that we're going to talk about. If you are dating... You need to follow the Word of God. You need to seek and strive for the cultivation of Holy Spirit fruit that will strengthen you to love and serve your spouse as a godly husband. And if you are a lady that is dating or is counseling women that are dating or have women in your family that are dating, even if maybe you personally are, and if you're dating or you care about someone who is and you are a lady, you need to go ahead and be discerning is the person that I'm dating or the one that I love, love is dating, are they cultivating the type of fruit that will later evidence itself in the ways that we're going to see from today's passage? So even though today's message specifically is for Christian husbands, all of us have a role in supporting the men in our church that are married in being this type of person. And the same will be true next week as we talk to wives. There's a role for all of us to play in helping the ladies in our church be the women God wants them to be. Uh, when I was a boy, my mother you know, was a school teacher. And I guess about the time I was fifth, sixth grade, the Simpsons really became uh, big time. And, of course, my parents would not let me watch The Simpsons because they did not want me to cultivate the fruit that Homer Simpson was cultivating uh, in that show, or Bart Simpson. And uh, that was really the main reason why. You know, when you're young, they like, we don't want you to have a steady dosage of that because that's not the type of men we want you to become, right? And so my boys today, later in life, I, I, used to, I used to watch The Simpsons all the time, and there's a lot of subtle humor in The Simpsons, and, and uh, would watch that, and it would drive my mom crazy, you know, when I, when I started doing that in my 20s. Uh, but now today, you know, if, if we're flipping through, and my boys, they see it's a cartoon, and they want to watch it, and we keep, we keep turning. Why? Why do we do that? It's not just The Simpsons. It's other shows as well. Uh, because so much of how men are portrayed in our society is in such rebellion in all kinds of ways rebellion to what God has created shaped redeemed men to be so this this message today gets right into the heart and next week 
right in the heart of a lot of the battle, the heaviness, the spiritual darkness that we feel in our country and all around the world. A lot of it comes back to what the Word of God has to say about the family and the ways in which we rebel against that. So Lord God, I want to ask you right now, Lord, use this word to strengthen our husbands. Use these next two weeks for husbands and wives. And to help us to be more obedient to who you are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now before we read our text, we're going to watch something silly but serious. It's silly but it's serious. And if you're married and you are a married man, you know that this is one of the top questions that you are most afraid of answering when your wife asks you. So watch this video, and then we're going to dive in the Word of God. This is silly, but it's also very serious. If you are a man, there are things you need to be willing to do, but there's some things that you should never, ever do. So, Brother Braden, show us, show us this video. Hey, sweetie. Hey, hey, here's a burger. I'm glad you're back. Does this make me look fat? Um, on second thoughts, I'll go uh, make this out. Does this make me look fat? Well, I wouldn't say skinny. Does this shirt make me look fat? Yes. Do you want my honest opinion? I thought our treadmill looked lonely. No, oh, just no, hold, don't. Hold, hold, hold. Don't. Are, are you pregnant? I'm gonna be a dad! Babe, does this make me look fat? Baby, look at me. You look great. You look even better than you did on our wedding day. And guess what? You're even more beautiful on the inside. Besides, the dryer probably shrank all your clothes anyways. <laughs> that is... Some things not to do, all right? So there are things that you do and you don't do in marriage. And there are ways to respond and not respond. And today we want to see what is it that God, what is it that God wants men to be willing to do. So turn to a classic text for Christian families. Go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. And uh, remember now that the church here at Ephesians at Ephesus, I'm sorry, like many of Paul's churches, you've got a lot of Gentiles who are becoming believers, and they have no concept of Deuteronomy 6, and they have no concept of, of, of the Hebraic law and the ways in which God had shown the path that Christian families were to walk on. And so Paul is kind of giving a condensed lesson on what it means to be a family, and he's expanding for the Jewish believers too on what it means to be a family in light of Jesus. So this is Ephesians 5, and we're going to read verses 25 through 29, and then we'll come back to this passage next week, and we'll look at what Paul says uh, to women, to the wives. All right, so Ephesians 5, 25 through 29. By the way, before we read this, so in the order of creation, family comes first, comes before church. And you come to this passage, though, and Paul uses the family 
to point to a greater reality, he says, the church. And so you hear these discussions about church and family, church and family. And really, I think the way to think about it is not one here and one there, that actually when you, when you put everything in the Bible together, it's this symbiotic relationship that is, that is going on. God empowers the family, which when families function like this, it strengthens the church, and yet the church, because what it is to God and how he's bringing all these different families together, it then informs your individual family. And so I think you think about this, that under, under, Lord, under the Lord God, these things are sort of in a symbiotic relationship, all right? So he, he is, he's, he's talking here about Jesus and how Jesus loves the church, and then he uses that to describe how family relationships should operate. All right, so Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25. He says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Just like that, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife, when you love your wife rightly, you love yourself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, right, under, under natural circumstances. There are those, because they're history, because of struggles or battles. Yes, there are some people that we know begin to hate themselves. But, but uh, if, if, if everything's operating right, he says, no, nobody hates themselves. You, you treat your own body um, correctly. So, you, you know, so no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. You take care of your body, even as the Lord, the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Willingness. The dictionary, at least uh, Webster Miriam that I looked up online, it gives three main definitions for willingness. Number one, willingness is an inclination or favorability disposed in your mind. Uh, It's a mental thing. You are ready and willing, eager to help. You're mentally ready. You're willing to, to get done what needs to get done. Number two, it is a prompt action or a prompt response. So to be willing to do something means mentally you, you, are, you are accepting and ready to do it. It also means that you promptly act. You are, you are lending a willing hand. So, so you see what needs to be done and you willingly step out to do it. Number three, it is a choice. It is an accepted uh, something you accept by choice without reluctance. So willingness is a mental activity. You are willing to do what needs to be done. It is in an action where you engage in this action. You are willing to do the action that has to be performed. And thirdly, it is is a specific type of action. It is an action that you are not forced to do, but you do it, as we might say, of your own free will. You are willing. So Jesus was a willing sacrifice. In today's text, we see some things. That a godly husband should be willing to be for his wife. 
Again, there are all sorts of things that a husband might do for his wife. There are all sorts of things that God desires a husband to be. But specifically this morning, these are things that Paul wants us to know that the Holy Spirit has equipped a married believer to be for his spouse. So I want to share these three things. All right, so number one, first thing that a Christian husband is to be, a Christian husband is to be his wife's champion. A husband is to be the champion of his wife. Now, back in medieval days, right, when, when warriors would train for war, they would have joust. And you know what jousting was? They'd get on their horses, and they'd have their lances, and they would try to knock each other off. Well, that's practicing for warfare. And then in these jousts, they would fight. They would fight with combat with swords uh, or other type of medieval weapons. They would engage. They would engage in this. And as they would train to keep themselves honed for battle, in the medieval world, they would throw these great festivals. And everybody could come watch, and they could come watch the, the soldiers train, and they could watch what they were doing. And so, so men would come, and, and, they, and they would fight. And what they would do at these festivals is oftentimes the ladies, uh, the ladies would sponsor one of the knights. And that just means that this knight was fighting in her honor, that he was her champion. And sometimes if a knight won the joust and was the winner, he would, he would take a prize or, or some sort of gift that is given, and he would give it to one of the ladies uh, at, that, at that gathering. And she was, she was the, the champion. Uh, he was her champion for the event. Well, here, husbands, it's basically laid out what it looks like to be a champion for your wife. What does it mean? That you are a champion for your wife means that you are called to sacrifice for the well-being of your spouse. And according to Scripture, husbands are to love or sacrifice for their wives as Christ loved the church. Just as Jesus is the champion of the church. He is the champion of the bride. He is the champion. Husbands are to, just as he is the, Jesus is the champion for all of us, you are to be a champion for your wife. How did Christ love the church? Look at verse 25 again. Christ also loved the church and he gave himself for it. Jesus chose. He chose to sacrifice for the church. And that sacrifice is the lens through which Christian husbands understand what it means to love their wife. Now, here's where biblically love comes into direct conflict with so much of what we are taught implicitly and explicitly through the world around us. In the Bible, most often, there are other examples, but most often, Love is a choice, not a feeling. The feeling in the Bible usually is very secondary. Love is the choice. Biblically, love is presented over and over again as a choice that is made. So men, loving your wife is not primarily about how you feel about your wife today. It's about your choice to sacrifice and champion for your wife, irregardless of how your feelings are moment to moment, day to day, hour to hour. Championing and loving your wife 
is about promoting her well-being, even if it costs you personally. In fact, if a man is to love his wife as Jesus loves the church, you should take it for granted before you ever enter into that covenant that it will cost you personally to love her. Because that is what Jesus' love for us looks like. The Christian husband is to be his wife's champion. Number two, the Christian man is to be a champion for his wife. He is also to be a sustainer for her. Look at verses 25 and 26. All right, let's read 25, then also 26. He says, listen, he says, husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. What did, what did Christ do for the church that he might sanctify? Why did he make this sacrifice? Why did, he, why, did he, why did he do for us what he did? Well, he did it that we might be sanctified and cleansed with the washing of water by the word. And remember, Jesus is the living word. So the Word of God cleanses us, it refreshes us, it makes us right. But in the Gospel of John, we're told that Jesus is the Word. He is the living Word that through His blood we have been washed and made clean. Huh. So how do husbands do that? How do husbands love their wife in that kind of way? How do we... In our relationships, it's not exactly the same because you're not, you are not your wife's salvation. You're not saving her. Jesus saved her in that sense. But what does it mean then that you're supposed to provide sanctification for her? What, what in the world does that mean? Well, here's the thing. When something is sanctified, that means it has been set apart, that it is special, that it is unique. So the work of sanctification, when you get saved, you are justified. You are made right with God. But then the process of sanctification begins. And that is the process where you have been justified and made right. And then sanctification or discipleship, the Lord God is showing you how to walk on the path to be who he's proclaimed you to be. His son, his daughter. So you've entered into this new family. And the Lord God has to show you, you're already proclaimed a member of that family. You have been saved. Man, if you're glad that salvation is by grace, say amen. I'm glad. But once you're saved, then the sanctification, then the discipleship, you are taught how to walk as the child that you are. Some of my kids are already my kids, right? But my wife and I are teaching them certain behaviors, certain activities to live into what it, what it truly means to not just be physically our child, but to be our child in actions and responsibilities and duties. Well, that's what God is doing for us in sanctification. He's taking us from where we were to where He wants us to be. What does that mean then that men are to do this for their wives? Men, when you marry a wife, you also marry her history. That is why, generally speaking, I counsel people strongly to know each other well, which takes time before marriage. Because when you marry another person, you not only marry all the things they have told you about themselves, but you marry all the things they did not tell you about themselves. The fears, the insecurities, the worries, the mistakes. When you marry a woman, 
you marry at all. Your spouse's history will form the way that your wife, and this is vice versa, by the way. Listen, your wife's history will form the way that she approaches life. It will inform how she looks at things. It will inform and often be behind the struggles and doubts that you can't figure out why. And here's what a godly husband does in the midst of all that. He is a sustainer in that a godly husband provides a stable and safe relationship for his wife to grow into the godly woman that God wants her to be. Just as Jesus is a shelter in the midst of life storms, husbands, as you champion your wife, you are to provide a haven of rest in the midst of her struggles. You help sustain your wife. You help her grow in sanctification. You are her sanctification in the sense, in the sense that you have a responsibility as a husband to sustain life with her in a way so that God can help her grow to be the person she needs to be. That is not for wimps. That is not for the weak of heart. And this is where we fail our sons and we fail as a society. And you definitely are not going to learn this from television or the media. Honestly, you're probably not going to learn this from the bestsellers that sell at Christian bookstores. Honestly, you're probably not going to learn it there. There are a lot of good books in Christian bookstores, but a lot of times, too often, it's too superficial. If you're going to raise your son. And you are going to be a man that does this. This is not just a quick read. This is not just going to happen by osmosis. This is not going to happen just because I got up here today and said this is what God's word says. This is a choice that you as a parent must choose to teach your sons. It is a responsibility as a pastor when people come for wedding, for, for marriage advice before they get married. For those others in this church that are counselors that do these things and Christians come to you, that we must, we must be honest with men. And we must ask them, are you ready? It doesn't mean, it doesn't, listen, doesn't mean there's not going to be problems in your, in your wife's life and that she's supposed to look at you and say, you're not being the safe haven that you're supposed to be for me. No, because Jesus is our rock and safe haven, but the storm still blasts all around us. But it means the husband, you have a responsibility to look at your wife. And to say, my role as a husband is to help her grow in the Lord. And this is, a, this is an important thing. This is a deep thing. To help your spouse grow in sanctification. To help her grow in her discipleship. This is why it is not wrong. It is not wrong. And I hope my wife and I will take this the right way if a father makes my boys do this. It is not wrong if you have a daughter to say to the man that wants to marry her, before you can do that, I want you to write me a letter. And I want you to tell me how you're going to take care of my daughter and to be her sustainer if she enters into marriage with you. 
Now, some people have different writing abilities than others, and maybe you might want to say, if they're, if they're not that kind of person, you might want to say, well, in that case, I want you to sit down. I want you to, I want you to think about it. You might want to write down a few notes on some note cards, but I want you to sit down, and I want you to tell me how you're going to do this for my daughter. Now, this is not about money. This is not talking about you're going to have tons and tons of money. That's not what this means. What this does mean, though, is a godly man. You have to, you have to pray and ask the Lord, and you must discern before you enter into that covenant. What, what ways am I going to help sustain my wife's walk with the Lord? It's, listen, it's not wrong to ask a young man to do that. In fact, if you are a Christian father, I would say to you that you should, I would encourage you, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to make that young man. And if he doesn't want to do it, that's a huge red flag. That as much as possible with you as a parent, and I know these things get, they get all mixed up, and, and, and you got to maintain your relationship with your child, and they may marry somebody you don't want them to. And, and I'm not saying you just lay that law down and ruin everything. No, but I am telling you as much as possible with you. Listen, this is what God expects out of a man. And it is time. See, once they are in the marriage relationships, moms and dads, your thing would then become secondary. It's secondary. In a lot of ways, that ship sails once they enter into that covenant. But as a church, as a church, we've got to do a whole lot better about taking very serious what God wants husbands to be men and women if you agree with that say amen see people get afraid of this verse and this is a verse that is often attacked by unbelievers that the husband and again it's not exactly the way that jesus sanctifies us it's not meant to be taken exactly like that but there is something in the way that he has done that for us that we must learn for that we are to do for our wives Christian husband is to be his wife's champion. He is to be her sustainer in that he sustains a place where he is able to help her grow in discipleship. And then thirdly, a Christian husband is to be his wife's satisfier. A Christian husband is to satisfy his wife. Look at verses 28, 29 at what it says. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. A man takes care of his body, his flesh, even as the Lord takes care of the church. Husbands, we are to think in terms of two, not one. Now, we are one flesh, but within that one flesh, the way we become one is because we're constantly thinking about two, not just me. The way you would treat yourself is the way that you are to treat her. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, you are called upon to satisfy the needs of your wife. And if you want a wife who responds to your leadership, then you need to respond to her needs. Let's just cut through the chase, at least for younger men. I'm, I'm still on the younger side in this sense, so I'm not going to claim to be able to say uh, how everything works and you get a little bit older, but I can definitely say this. What most men 
immediately want from their wife is one who will respond to them physically. But if you are not satisfying needs in her life, then that either A, will not happen, or if it does happen, she's going to have a negative attitude about it. It's going to only be a duty, and it's going to be a duty that will be a weight around her. If you're going to satisfy your wife's needs, you have to know your wife. You have to study your wife. We, we in that study in Acts, we talked about how the Apostle Paul was able to perceive things about the gospel. He was able to understand, because his prayer life, his meditative life, what Jesus had done to him, he was able to perceive. And if you're going to satisfy the needs of your wife in the way that this passage is talking about, you, you have to study your wife. You have to pay attention to what's going on in your household with your wife so that you will know how to provide for her. Now, I, now let me give two, two examples just from my own life because that's, that's what I know, right? Uh, and I'm by no means very great at this, but there are some things I know from observing my wife. And, and one of them I've laughed about a lot because a lot of people in this church had this same issue, right? We know, if you've come here very long, you know that my wife loves drinking coffee. Like, she, she loves coffee, and she's got to have two cups every morning. Not one, two. Must have two. And from being around my wife, I know, I know this is a need that she has, a want that she has in her life. I've also learned this then. If it's late at night, I say late at night, if it's, if it's 8 p.m. and my wife says to me, uh-oh, there's not milk in the fridge. I have studied my wife. I know my wife. I know that what that really means is there is milk in the fridge, but there's not enough milk for the boys to have milk with their breakfast and for me to get my two cups of coffee the way I like it. And so I used to argue with her. Just give the boys the milk and you can stop and get coffee on your way to work, right? Wrong answer. Wrong answer. And so I've learned. Walmart's right by my house, so this isn't really a huge thing, but I've just learned. It's just, you know, putting your clothes back on and, and going out in the cold and getting it or whatever, but I've learned. I need to go get that milk if she wants it because really it's something simple that can be done. It will meet a, a desire that she has, and it will be good for both of us, and honestly it costs me very little to do that. Very little. And when we were dating, I would have leaped at the chance to do anything, literally anything my wife wanted. Husbands, you must know your wife. You must, you must know. But then there are a lot bigger things. My wife wanted to pursue a degree in, in counseling. Part of my job as a husband, once I married her, and by the way, it took sacrifice by both of us. And I could tell you that story sometime, but both of us had to sacrifice to make that happen. And she made a sacrifice for me, I can tell you. And when she made the sacrifice for me to leave her counseling program, to move to South Carolina so we could go to our first church, then I had to figure out how am I going to help her 
accomplish that goal. And the devil threw a huge roadblock up right off the bat. But part of my job as a husband was to stand by my wife to give her the confidence that we, we will, with God's help, we will figure out how to do this. That was my responsibility to do that. She gets the degree. We moved to Cookville. She keeps moving up the ladder higher and higher at her job. And then the day comes that, that Ethan and Owen are here. And because of the way she'd moved up, constantly on call, miserable, not happy, not happy. You know what it then became as a husband? It is my responsibility within reason. You can't just, you know, you, there are other aspects of life. But it was my responsibility then to help my wife figure out how does my wife accomplish what she desires in her heart. It is my job, joyful responsibility to satisfy the needs in her life. That's what it is. And by the way, she's done the same for me. Do you think somebody raised in Lexington, Kentucky, who loves basketball, wanted to step one foot on Duke University campus? No. But she loved me. See, see, guys, you're not going to learn this anywhere but the word of God and from other believers. What, what does it mean to know your wife? To satisfy your wife? What, what, what does it mean to sustain your wife? What does it mean to choose to willingly be her champion? There is only one Lord, only one master. There is only one who can show us this, and it is Jesus himself. But Jesus, as good, he's good. And just as the first disciples, he showed them on the path. He brought them in. He allowed them to walk with him as he taught them about God. We are here on a Sunday morning listening to God's word. And what's really going on right now is Jesus in the heart of believers. He is doing the same thing he did with the first disciples. He is showing and he is teaching you through his word. If you want to be a godly husband in a world where so many say it's not going to happen, you can't do it, it's impossible, the Lord Jesus is here today as our champion telling us, through His Word, through the power of His Holy Spirit, you can be this kind of man in this age, in this day. Husbands, we are called to do this. But you have to be willing. You have to be willing to make the choice to be this type of husband, to be this type of man, to be the type of sacrificial giver that Jesus is for the church. We know right up the road in the Big South Fork, there's a great hero that lived. Most of us know about Alvin C. York. We know his story. We know how that he lived a wild life and that uh, he, he was a rough man. He was a tough man in some ways and kind of in my mind, when I think of what, what Alvin York was before he became a Christian, I'm reminded of the stories about Carson Whitaker before he got saved. And if you, you know, some of you know Brother Carson, some of you didn't, but Carson Whitaker, uh, he, he was just, I mean, he, he, was, he was raised rural, raised tough, you know, in a world that is now gone from this area, just a totally different lifestyle. And Carson Whitaker had a, had a stuttering problem, and he was a fighter before he got saved. Carson Whitaker, when he was a young man, this, this preacher in this area that many came to faith under his ministry, Brother Carson in Monterey had to go before the judge 
And when he went before the judge, he'd gotten in a fight, and they fined him. And before the judge, his dad went to pay the fine. And when they went to pay the fine in the courtroom, Carson, or wherever they were having this little thing where the judge was passing the sentence, Carson looked back at his dad, and I can't stutter, I did, but in his stuttering voice, he looked back at his dad, and he said, pay the fine twice. This is in front of the judge. Pay the fine twice. And they, they, his dad, why? And he said, because as soon as they let me out, I'm going to whip that guy again. Alvin C. York was that kind of guy. I mean, they just live different. They just live different. These are not city people. These are people that took care of their own business, their own affairs, and that's how he lived. And the Lord miraculously changed Alvin York's life. And this fighter, this rough, backwoods guy became a believer in Jesus, got active in a local congregation, began to serve the Lord, and then World War I broke out. And he was drafted to go fight, but he was not willing. He was not willing because... He felt like at first, I can't do this because the Lord saved me from being a fighter and He saved me from being this just kind of really tough guy and and the Lord saved me from all that and I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to fight anymore. I'm not going to fight anybody anymore. And he went out into the beauty of the Big South Fork area and he just stayed out there and prayed and prayed. He finally says the Lord gave him peace that actually he needed to go. And it was okay that the Lord is giving him permission, permission to go and to fight. And, and, and you know what happened, right? He came back, I believe, the most decorated soldier from that war. That same fighting fierceness that he had had as an unsaved believer over in Europe that was used to capture huge numbers of Germans, to take out machine gun nests that saved the lives of literally thousands and thousands of men. And if you, if you read his story, it's just incredible what he single-handedly did. Save thousands. But there came a place in his journey when he was out there in the woods alone with the Word of God, according to him, the Word of God, and praying and seeking that he moved from an unwillingness to a willingness. That's what he felt God wanted him to do. Guys, we can say this is a great series. And we can say that God is good. And men, we can say that we want to be these kind of husbands. But the truth is, it's not really about what you're going to do in the next two minutes. It's really about the choices you will make every day. Will you be willing day by day by day by day to trust that Jesus is right and that He will help you to be what you could never be for your wife on your own? Jesus does big things. Sometimes he does them in small ways. You may think your family is small. But I promise you, in your small, insignificant family, God will do the work of his people in your life. And he will do something big if you are willing to be a champion for your wife. If you are willing to strive to have a place where you will sustain your wife as she goes through her struggles, that you will be a sustaining presence in her life. 
that you would be willing to satisfy her needs even when it cost you greatly. I, I, I like people to like me. And uh, telling somebody that this week, I told them I s- there was somebody I was meeting with and, and that really they, they needed to make a change. And I was kind of soft peddling it. And finally the person said, you don't have to soft pedal with me, preacher. What, like, what needs to happen? And I kind of laughed and I said, I like people to like me and, and, and that's an issue. But I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something today. You ain't into a marriage. You better not worry about what everybody else thinks about your relationship with your wife. You better worry about what Jesus thinks about your relationship with your wife. I don't care what your buddies at work joke around about. I don't care about the way the devil pulls us and tempts us. What we better worry about is Jesus who says to men, love your wife. Choose to love your wife the same way that I chose to leave heaven to die for you. Ladies, can I ask you a question? And I want you to help the men out. If you would be willing to respond and follow a man that loved you the way that Jesus loved the church, would you say amen? Father God, I ask today as the musicians come, These are deep and serious things, Father God. This is a big choice for men. Lord God, I ask today that you would help the men in this church to be willing, willing to be a champion, a sustainer, be willing to satisfy the needs and the wants in their Spouse's life, Father God, help them to be willing, not because of eloquent words, Father God, not because they feel peer pressured into doing it. God, help the men in this church to be the husbands they should be because you died for them to make them into this kind of man. Father God, help us to respond to your spirit both in this place but much more than right now. Father God, help the men who leave this room to follow this teaching, this instruction, day by day, moment by moment. Father God, I ask this in Jesus' name.